A little whisper in your ear or a huge crash down to earth, a lesson in love is life's way of nudging you in a new direction. Welcome to the Lessons in Love podcast with me, Carly Ann. I'm a self-esteem and relationship coach and I wholeheartedly believe I am here to help you break through the very relationship struggles that so many of us face. Through my own personal experiences and other people's inspiring lessons, I'm showing you that we can change and we can break free from toxic patterns in love. Inside this podcast, you are going to hear what has shaped successful love stories and healed heartbreak. I want you to know you are not alone, you are not crazy, you are not too much. This space is for the woman who is done with believing she needs someone else to be whole. The one who has had enough of not feeling enough, who is not willing to let her past or any more of her future, who is waving goodbye to a fantasy relationship and hello to the healthy, extraordinary love she deserves. This is where you learn how to become the most secure and irreplaceable version of yourself. Hello, welcome back to a very special episode of Lessons in Love. Today I am talking to someone who has been a huge inspiration on my own journey. I'm talking to Natalie Liu. Natalie is the author, podcaster and speaker behind BaggageReclaim.com, where she helps people pleasers, perfectionists and overthinkers to declutter their emotional baggage. Started over 15 years ago off the back of her own transformation, she's on a mission to help as many people as possible break the toxic patterns that stop them from being more of who they are and enjoying fulfilling relationships and careers. Author of several books, including Mr. Unavailable and The Fallback Girl, The No Contact Rule and Love, Care, Trust and Respect and host of the Baggage Reclaim Sessions podcast. She also teaches courses like her Break the Cycle of Emotional Unavailability and Embrace Healthy Boundaries. Born in the UK, raised mostly in Dublin, Natalie is based in Caterham, Surrey, on the edge of London with her husband and two daughters, plus her crazy cockapoo. Like I said, Natalie has inspired me so much, so I am so, so thrilled to bring this conversation to you. Natalie talks about unlearning the unhelpful patterns in relationships. We discuss what happens to the emotional baggage when you get into a loving relationship and how the movies have warped our idea of romance. Nat Lou, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to be on. I've been looking forward to this. I'm so excited. I have to start before I even get you to introduce yourself. Just start by having that sort of fangirl moment. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly know I do this all the time with you, but I remember, do you know, I'll tell you how I first came across you. This is what I think happened. I think I'd gone through a breakup. I was now seeing this next guy. I was like on the floor. It wasn't working out. And I was like in bed, just Googling, Googling, you know, how do I get through this? What do I do? And I obviously came across Baggage Reclaim and downloaded there and then Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl. My whole (laughs) life just slotted into place. (laughs) Do you know, I think that that's probably Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl is like the gift that keeps giving. Because I actually wrote it such a long time ago now. And I actually don't remember most of what, I mean, I do. I like, obviously I remember the broad themes of what I, but I don't obviously read much of what I have written, but it is my most read book. I hear from people almost every day about it and they all say the same thing. Like they were in this rabbit hole, this dark place, this sort of like, what the hell's going on in my life? 
And then it was like, oh my God, like this, this book is like mm-hmm. speaking to all the things I thought were crazy mm-hmm. that were not real. So, and of course it's all the better that like you love the book because obviously I love you. <laughs> it's so good. So many people buy it after I mention it just all the time. Everyone's like, I've got the book, I've got the book. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the book. <laughs> it, it's funny, actually, because obviously I have self-published all of my books. And what's interesting is I hear from a lot of therapists who read the book for themselves. And I also hear from a lot of people like patients of therapists who were like, oh, my therapist recommended that I, I read Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl or the No Contact Rule. And actually, that's, I think that's what I mean as well about the gift that keeps giving is somebody tells somebody, tells somebody, tells somebody. And so it's just like this, not a secret, but... Yeah, it's kind of this, it's just this word of mouth type thing. It's, it's great. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, but yeah, anyway, shall we start with you telling us who you are? Obviously, we know about your book now. And <laughs> also, I want to know your love story. Oh, what, the one with my husband or my general love story? The general love story that brought you uh, Well, as you said, my name is Natalie Lou. I am 43, almost 43 and a half, actually. I'm kind of getting to that stage where the halves are starting to count. And I live in Caterham in border of London, really into Surrey type of thing. I have been writing about relationships and self-esteem for just over 15 years on my website, baggagereclaim.com, where I also have a podcast called The Baggage Reclaim Sessions. And I started writing about 16 and a half years ago after going on a bad date. And it was when blogging was relatively like new in the UK and it was like a thing of curiosity. And I had been on, as I said, a dodgy date and woke up at four o'clock in the morning with bubble guts from going to this very cheap restaurant with dodgy food where I had not had a great time with a guy who was, for all intents and purposes, nice. You know, it was the type that, like my friend said, if I wasn't already married, I would so totally want to be with this guy didn't get it like dull as anything like you call that type of person nice but I, I find nice is an overused word actually so I left that date going like what the hell is wrong with me why do I say I want to be with a nice guy and it's the bad boys as such that draw me in you know the ones who are messing me about and so I started a blog at four o'clock in the morning because I'd read about it read about blogging about a month or two before I think in the observer 10 minutes later I had a blog spot blog called Tired of Men and Other Things That Drive a 20-something Around the Twist. And within a few days, I already had like readers, fans. And yeah, amassed a bit of a following, like doing this personal blog. And then a year or so into it, like just my love life just, yeah, went to the dog. I mean, it was already very, very ropey anyway, which I will come back again to. Mm -hmm. But off the back of talking out loud about the frustrations that I had with dating and my patterns, that's how Baggage Reclaim started because I wanted to give back in the sense of if I could help one person understand what they were going through and get out of it, or I could help somebody avoid that altogether, then I would feel like, oh, I had sort of passed on what I had realized through my own epiphany. Because I don't know if you've done this yourself, but by writing about these subjects and talking about your own experiences, like just sharing details of your life, that you start to notice patterns sort of retrospectively, and that helps you to like connect the dots and you also have this sort of sense of community, like people who are interested in you. And some of those people like make their own observations. And then you have these sort of epiphanies. It was like an awakening that I experienced. That was like summer of 2005. I was like, oh my gosh, I 
have a thing about being with emotionally unavailable men mm-hmm. who tend to have mummy issues you know still attached to the umbilical cord and they are really into me at the beginning and then they air quotes become you know em- emotionally unavailable all of a sudden but I'm the common denominator like I'm the only person who's showing up to every act scene and moment of my life so what am I bringing to the table here and I was like oh my god I always thought I was like Miss Monogamy, like Miss Relationship. But actually, I've got some serious commitment issues. I got daddy issues. I got mommy issues. I got, I got all sorts of issues. And I thought I was a weirdo. I mean, I carried a lot of shame. I clearly did not like myself, judging by my choice of relationships. But then when I said, oh, this is what I'm going through, everybody's like, oh my God, you're talking about me. You're just like me. And I was like, what? How can I be talking about you when I'm a weirdo? That's how Baggage Reclaim started. A month later, I started writing Baggage Reclaim. And it just sort of steamrolled from there. It's so everything that you're saying, I just, yeah, that idea of just the nice guy being attracted to the unavailable guys. like, And I guess, yeah, I will definitely pick your brains around the nice guy thing. And it's, mm. you know, that balance between, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that that whole, you said you've got thoughts about the nice yeah, you know, I'm 43. So I'm I'm raised in the era of this sort of very typical type, tall, dark, handsome, good sense of humor is what you were encouraged to get with. I mean, it, honestly, when you when you say it like that, you go, wow, like that's actually a pretty vanilla <laughs> kind of guy. I mean, it could literally be anyone. And actually, that's pretty much what's happened to a lot of women and even men that it's like we're just going after what is a very superficial archetype. And We are also socialized to believe that if a man gives you the time of day or he says nice things or he gives you flowers or he takes you out to dinner, that that makes him nice. Or if he's not beating you or he's not cheating you, that also makes him nice. If he is not inconsistent and obviously playing hard to get, then that makes him nice. And actually, I think that nice is a very overused vanilla word. Like if you had somebody, I don't know, if you did up your whole place and you made it look amazing, and you bought one of your nearest and dearest around and said, hey, what do you think? Oh, yeah, it's nice. You'd probably be a bit like, is that all you kind of mm-hmm. got to say on it? I'm not saying that nice is a bad thing, but nice is the term that we reach for about people when we don't really have a great deal to say about them. When they are not fitting our atypical idea, for instance, of what somebody who is very go-getty and charming and, you know, unavailable is. And so we, we, it's almost like, yeah, they're nice. But I also actually have an issue particularly with nice because I think that actually speaking specifically about men and women, historically, a man doesn't have to have done very much for people to be turning around and going, oh, he's so nice. Mm-hmm. And so when I find that people are describing somebody that way, I'm going, okay, like you either don't know this person very well, or you are saying that they're nice relative to what you think is a really, really terrible version of mm-hmm. something. And so I have a big problem, for instance, with the reporting of the murders and attacks of women where the spotlight is put on the perpetrator. So for instance, the husband or partner, and they go, oh, but he was such a nice guy. He was pillar of the community. He was so nice. And it's like, oh my God, like you don't even know the guy. And it's this whole thing of like, we often don't have that higher standard for what we're calling nice. And the other eye opener on this is we have been nice girls. We have been good girls. And we also know that sometimes, in fact, often what is behind our nice is fear, 
and avoidance and hiding out, you know, the people pleasing, the perfectionism, the overthinking, the overgiving, the over-responsibility, all of these things. And so it's like, we call nice, like, let me hide myself. Let me put you above me and everything else. Let me be super accommodating. Let me merge into who you are. Let me bust up my boundaries over you. So we call ourselves nice girls for doing that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite books of all time is Gone Girl. And if you've read the book or watched the, the, the oh, book is way yeah. better than the film. But without giving too much away, like she calls herself a cool girl. And a cool girl in her book is this nice girl who basically becomes what they think guys want. And it's like, whatever they're into, it's like, oh, I'm into that too. They'll basically put on this whole performance, but it ends up masking our our resentment, our frustration. And it's all about trying to get what we want out of it, but we're not even being ourselves. And so I think that actually we know that we are being really ourselves and that we also appreciate the person for who they are when we're not calling ourselves good and nice, but we're also not referring to the person who we're with as nice. I don't know if that's all sort of making sense. Yeah, no, it is making sense. And it's really interesting because when you were saying, I guess what was coming up for me is if I'm not the nice girl, am I the needy girl? Am I, and you know, and I'm I'm thinking about their friends as well. I'll Mm -hmm. never forget one of someone I was with once saying, um, I was actually calling him out for, and I really stand by this, something that genuinely is a behavior I, I would now not accept. And I remember him saying to me things like, if I told people that you were saying this, do you know what they would think about you? And like, that's the worst nightmare, isn't it? Like you yeah. I'd be needy to your friends. I do remember saying like, no, no, not if you told them my side too. Yeah. If you told them your side, I remember saying that. But that's like the fear, what you're going to tell everyone that I'm needy and everyone's going to know I've got yeah. these needs. <laughs> Yeah. And so we we try to be like low maintenance and and needless. And like, I don't want to be like one of those girls, you know, all Mm -hmm. dramatic and stuff. And we don't realize that part of that already comes from the fact that in childhood, we've already got used to doing the whole nice and good thing. So a lot of these habits are just extensions of that. And, you know, I'm somebody like, yeah, sure. You know, when you were saying about like your experiences of love, like I've only been in one healthy, loving relationship, which at the end of the day is the thing I always say to people, it just takes one. In yes. Yeah. A lot of the time we tend to focus on, oh, but I've had this, excuse my language, chit chat with relationships. You know, I've been with all of these people and now, now, so what does that mean? Because I've had five relationships that didn't do this or whatever it was. In the end, all it takes is one relationship. Yeah. So, because if I was going to judge me purely on the fact that I had never been in a healthy relationship, that I'd only been with, un- with emotionally unavailable men, then I wouldn't be with my now husband. You know, before that, like, yes, I'd been in yeah a few abusive relationships. Like they were emotionally abusive. There was some controlling there, the gaslighting. And there was one partner who, yeah, laid his hand on me, said it was accidentally and my fault. But he still ended up slamming my arm, slamming the door in such a way. He knew my arm was there. So it smashed my wrist, said it was my fault. And that was a watershed moment for us because I realized like I was not about to go and be back in my childhood again. You know, I'd experienced a fair amount of shadiness. I'd also been with guys who were, yeah, you know, like 
people like, oh, he's so nice. He's so nice. And some of those nice guys were actually some of the most jealous and possessive and manipulative that I was with. And actually that really taught me a lot because I think that it was so easy to be blinded by that because they were seen as nice and they could be so nice because they could be quite, well, you could say attentive. And then sometimes it was more like oppressive. You could say that they were being sweet, but they were not always being honest. And so some of that sweetness started to feel very sort of burdensome and, and fake after a while. I mean, in a way, it was kind of showing me a lot of myself as well. But um, I found it very, very difficult to sort of work out what on earth was going on there because it was like, oh, but they seem so nice or they are so nice. Everybody likes them. If I would say to people, oh, this is why this isn't working for me or, you know, why I'm not into this person, whatever, they'd be like, are you mad? Like, I would kill to go out with a guy like that. But I have heard a lot of stories from nice girls and nice guys who have been friends with somebody. And unbeknownst to the person who they're friends with, they're the nice guy and they're the nice girl and they are genuinely lovely people. But underneath all of this niceness, they're hoping that this friend of theirs will see them as more than just a friend. Mm. And when this person instead turns around and says, oh, hey, guess what? I've met somebody new. I'm in love or I ain't going back to my ex. The rage that it triggers in these nice girls and nice guys. And what then comes tumbling out is about how they had tried to position themselves as being the nice guy and the nice girl. And now they feel like they have been passed over, like they have been used, like they have been taken advantage of and all of this. And it's like, well, hold on a second. You weren't even willing to make it be known. You thought you could play it being nice. And yeah. they would go, oh, look at you hanging around, being my friend and being all sweet to me and letting me dump all of my stuff on you or whatever it is, you know, while I'm getting over my ex or whatever else. Oh, look at you being a friend. Oh, do you know what? I think I should fall in love with you like we're in a rom-com. Mm-hmm. And when that doesn't happen, they feel so wounded because it's this whole thing nice gets rewarded it's the the protagonist and antagonist thing where us nice girls for instance us good girls you know i am a recovering people pleaser perfectionist overthinker you name it recovering and we've believed based on everything we've been sold we get rewarded in the end the good guy the good girl the good person wins out in the end and the bad guy gets their comeuppance like we do better so it is no wonder that gradually we're like uh what the chuff is going on here like where's my romance how did she get him when i'm here and i'm giving it everything and they've just come swanning along and it's like hello like what about me and then when we see somebody who really didn't treat us that well the next thing they're swanning about on instagram or whatever it is parading the new partner or talking about oh i'm so happy at work i'm having a baby we're like are you out of your mind it should be me like i am the one who's supposed to have the happy ending you're supposed to be sitting at home miserable you're supposed to get run over or something not literally we're probably not hoping for them <laughs> to get run over literally i want to say but it's like it's that rom-com thing it's that yeah. movie thing it's the storyline of pretty much everything yeah that's why i'm so happy that you said it takes that one person because what you're describing i feel like that's what i hear i did a q a on my instagram recently and in some form or another the questions were quite similar in terms of how am i supposed to keep being positive how am i supposed to trust people again how am i supposed to keep putting myself out there again you know and it was that and it's like that idea of it just takes that one person you know yeah i think relationships are very much stepping stones mm-hmm. i do too to, to each other <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like if we have this sort of attitude of 
Let me go out with the emotionally unavailable guy or woman and people please the hell out of them. And then they will change and they will become available and they will give me what I want. And then when it doesn't happen, because hello, we are not responsible for them being emotionally unavailable. And also people pleasing is like wearing a mask or a costume. So it blocks us off to intimacy. So when things don't work out and then we walk away from it going, but it should have worked out. I was willing to sacrifice my boundaries. I was willing to be whatever they want me to be like from my most favorite problematic movie of all time, Pretty Woman. You know, when he goes, what's your name? Whatever you want it to be. Like that's, <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're all like, you know, as this good goes, it's like, who are you? Whatever you want me to be, baby. Or coming to America, my joint favorite film of all time with Ghost. When he's asking her, like, what do you like? I like what you like. Yeah. <laughs> so when we come away from a relationship that actually wasn't right for us, we were not being ourselves. They were emotionally unavailable, which meant that we couldn't be emotionally available either because, you know, water seeks its own level and all that. And then we keep insisting that it should have worked out because look at all the effort I put in. Look at all the boundaries I let them cross. Mm-hmm. We're not really learning what we need to learn there. And our relationships are stepping stones, like adulthood is about the self-actualization, figuring out who we are. And that's a big part of that is unlearning all of the unproductive and harmful stuff we've picked up along the way. We can't know what we need to learn and what is and isn't working for us until we go through the experience of making choices based on these ideas we have, discovering that it hasn't worked out, learning from it and trying again. But if we keep doing the equivalent of, you know, Groundhog Day, same guy or woman, different package in carrying the same beliefs, baggage and behaviors. And we end up in this Groundhog Day, this sort of relationship insanity. And so we have to see it as when I look back, it's of course, it's much clearer now, but I can see, even though at the time I was like, oh my God, I can go, must be going around in flipping circles here. I look back and I go, ah, I encourage anybody, if you write down the timeline of your relationships and the different things that you were going through, you will see that there is a progression that really yeah. reflects how honest you were with yourself at the time, how emotionally available you were at the time, what you learned or didn't learn from the previous one, and how each relationship has, has helped you to heal, grow, and learn in some way. And sometimes, yeah, it probably has felt like you kind of hopped a, you know, a few stepping stones and then went, whoop back again a little bit, but actually it's all forward motion. And if we keep insisting that the wrong person is the right person for us, then of course we're not going to meet the right person for us because we're still saying that something that's so blatantly wrong for us is right. Yeah, that I feel like you've already probably answered everything that I that I have to do with that <laughs> because that is, maybe that's what I, I sometimes even struggle to verbalize is that it is always moving forward. So each time I get knocked, let's say. It's not that I don't go down, I do go down. Mm-hmm. But when I come back up, I, I can see the progress. You know, the most recent thing I had, it sounds really simple, but I was able to get on FaceTime to this person, mm-hmm. have a conversation, what was in my head, what was not in my head. I've never been able to do that. It's these things, right, that I was able to do different, you know? Yeah. I had a very, very similar experience that was actually was really part of the epiphany, the awakening for me, because I was very sort of go out in a blaze of glory or blaze of avoidance type thing. So I'm either going to torch the place or I'm going to like slip out the back door, you know, type of thing. But in that summer, when I realized at that point, like I had been seeing, let's say this loosely, seeing the guy for about five months and it became very obvious that yet again, 
He, you know, had his issues. There's nothing like being out for dinner on your birthday and coming back from the bathroom and overhearing the guy that you have been seeing for five months saying to the waiter who knows the two of you like recognize you from being in there a few times. Oh, so it's your girlfriend's birthday. Oh, it's not. She's not my girlfriend. It's, you know, when you like when you overhear people chatting about you in the mm-hmm. toilets or something like that, and you just sit there and you cringe. I was like, oh, my. I remember as well that when I passed the waiter later on in the evening, he was like, that guy's a waste of time. That's what the way. And yeah. of course, the guy I was seeing just thought that the waiter was like slippery. But actually, you know, <laughs> shady guys, no shady guys anyway. Yeah. But the funny thing was that I was doing my thing of using humor and yeah, passive aggression to hint at my discontentment with some of the things that he was doing. That's how we actually ended up going out on that birthday dinner because I was like, oh, are you even going to bother to like call me on my birthday type of thing? And then I think that he kind of sort of felt this guilt. What was interesting is I reached the conclusion that this was not working for me. And rather than avoid it or blaze of glory or try and get into a debate about it, I took a deep breath. I picked up the phone because there was no such thing as FaceTime or anything like that back then. And I did exactly the same thing as you. I just took a deep breath and said, this is not working for me. And he was like, yeah, I kind of felt like this conversation was coming. Oh, but you didn't say anything about it though. You know, I've been realizing I'm not ready for a relationship. Oh, and exactly at what point were you going to mention uh-huh. that you're not ready for a relationship? You know, I've been seeing each other for five months. And I actually said to him, and this was the thing that shifted everything for me. One, because I was being, so the big shift was coming from actually just owning what I needed and wanted and getting on the phone and saying it and, and not victimizing myself of it. Like, oh my God, I've got to turn around and say this. Why can't you just reward me with a relationship? Oh my God, I can't believe I'm losing this guy. I felt so calm. And then I said, what makes you think I'm the kind of woman? And I think I talk about this in Mr. Unavailable and the fallback girl. What makes you think that I'm the kind of woman that would put up with a situation like this? And then it was like, everything it was like the world literally shifted a little bit it hit me I was like oh my god I am that girl he thought that I was that kind of girl because I had been that kind of girl I put up at all sorts when he didn't call me or we barely seen each other for three weeks and I would be fuming about it like fuming and I'd be like right the next time I hear from him I'm gonna flip and roll his ass out and that's it I'm done with him and then he would send a message hey fancy hanging out on friday and next thing you know be like oh well it'd be a bit too awkward now to bring it up in conversation now because we're having a good time and i've talked about this so many times i think on the blog but we were laying on a sofa watching tv together and it felt so coupley i hadn't seen him or spoken to uh, we barely spoken i think for like two weeks or something i've been fuming in between and he turned to me and he's like oh i really missed this like big pause and then this and I was like, fit to, I was like, oh my gosh, like this, you know, obviously we clearly do have something going on all this couple of weeks of me messaging my friends going, what the hell's going on with this guy? We have that night. I don't see him for another three weeks mm-hmm. after that and barely hear from him. And so when everything sort of shifted for me, I was like, oh, like this was a big thing. It was like, I am not being the person that I want to be treated like. Yeah. And also, turns out you don't have to torch the place like Angela Bassett and wait to exhale every time that you want to end a relationship, nor do you have to turn into a slivering, slobbering wreck to try to make them feel bad for you. And, you know, do it was like, oh, I can just decide that I don't want to do this anymore. And it doesn't have to be like a big old thing about it. You just 
got to say what it is. It's okay for me to do it. And that was a big shift. And I think the thing that you're realizing is that, you know how a spiral, like it's got the biggest circle on the bottom. And then mm-hmm. obviously, you know, the circles get smaller. So I know it feels like we're going around and around. And that can be about anything. That can be about procrastination with work. You know, that's the mm-hmm. thing that I've grappled with. You know, it can be about anything. We feel like we're going around and around in circles, but the circles are actually getting smaller. Yeah. Doesn't matter how much smaller, the point is that they're smaller. Yeah. And we're moving along. Everything is nudging us along. And this ability to speak up isn't just going to present itself in your romantic life because there are things that we learn, for instance, that we need for our romantic life that we're going to pick up actually, through, for instance, through work or with family or through some sort of problem with a friend or for a stranger or even through good stuff. And there are also things that we're going to learn from our romantic relationships. But the thing that you took from that conversation or being willing to have that conversation was, oh, I can take ownership of it. I can be upset about it. I mean, by gosh, like once I did that over the next eight months, literally up until three days before I met my now husband, I had to speak up for myself a number of times. If we think it's just going to happen once and then it's like, oh, thanks so much, Professor Life. I've Uh learned it all now. Give me the love of my life because look, I've passed the test. No, no, it'll keep coming back and back. Because the thing I say to people, and I think we talked about this when we did our workshop in February was if we say, hey, I really, really want to be in a loving relationship. I'm tired of being with emotionally unavailable, narcissistic, whatever people, right? Universe will basically go, okay, you say that. Let's see how serious you are about that. That means that we might get presented with our very typical type of scenario that we have been in. And if we turn around and say no to that, it's a vote for who we say we are and what we say we want. But sometimes, often what I have is people saying that. And the next time I, I hear from them, they're in a casual relationship. And it is like sending a message to yourself and to life. Oh, no, I'm not ready for that yet. I know I said that, but it seems too hard. And so you will find in the coming weeks and months that there will be other situations that will come along, romantic and otherwise, where you have to speak up. Yeah. And you've got to just find that strength. Yeah. And I did that. And the last one, <laughs> the last, well, there was one guy it was about a month after starting baggage reclaim. He was a seemingly nice guy who was living with his ex. They bought one of these shared ownership properties. And, you know, you can't, a lot of them you can't sell until you're three years in or whatever else. So they were kind of just having to accord it into him film, but a lot. So I remember kind of going, mm, I don't know about this. Anyway, he's like the nicest guy seemingly and I did think to myself well why do you why are you going like oh he's so nice and so sweet you don't even really know him so he took me on a date to that is that jazz cafe type place up in Camden and that yeah. woman who does the Ali McBeal theme tune that used to play in the bar and that she okay. was playing so it was a cool night but I remember thinking like it was really only at the point where I was like oh this is kind of a cool thing to do I actually enjoyed the night more than I enjoyed being around him and honestly afterwards he was like it was like Busy little hands doesn't even begin to <laughs> describe it. it. It was like a slobbering octopus. And I was like, what on earth has happened to this seemingly quiet, shine? I, I could, and he then, I mean, he knew, like he was embarrassed at his, he just had no self-control. And I washed my hands of it. The same guy that I had, you know, the five-month one, he called me up. No, it wouldn't have been called me up. He 
text me to ask if he could stay at mine because I think he had something in London. I realized I used to have an apartment in Maida Vale and I realized that he quite liked my parking space. Wow. He did not like, he did not like when I said that to him. Anyway, when I said to him, do you know what? It's fine. You can come. I'm going out with this friend of mine and her boyfriend, but you're not staying over in my bed. He got really offended that I said that, even though that's exactly what he wanted to do, but I stood my ground. Funny enough, then a couple of months later, like literally a couple of months before I met my now husband, he invited me out again and I was bored. It was a Friday and I went to this bar in North London only to find that he had this other fallback girl there. I didn't care about that because wow. I wasn't into him. This girl, you know, like when somebody pees a, a, a ring, a, a, you know, around a territory, she bullied me for the entire evening, reducing me to tears. And in the end, I let him have it. I said, you are the sketchiest person. I have done my best to stay friends with you because I do what I'm too nice for my own good to the point of naivety and non-confrontation. And you invite me here to this situation and you invite this other girl that you've clearly got some ambiguous thing going on with. And like his friends were going, you have really messed up, mate. Like this is an appalling way to treat somebody. And it was the whole standing up for myself. And then I dated a doctor, which my mom was thrilled about for about three weeks. And I had been very ill in the like from the year before with an immune system disease and I had started going to acupuncture and he basically called me a numpty for going to acupuncture and that there was no cure for me he'd only been qualified as a doctor for about a month by the way and he was working in geriatrics and it wasn't the first time that he made a comment like this and combined with a number of other things that really didn't fly with me. I mean, we could almost do a whole episode on that. It was so funny. I basically told him what he could go and do with himself. And the funny thing is, Carly, I'm not going to lie. 90% of the time after each of these times when I stood up for myself, I burst into tears afterwards. Right. Okay. Like that's actually reassuring. You you and I have been through some (laughs) stuff, not just as adults, but as kids as well. So standing up for ourselves feels like a lot for our bodies. And even though it's the absolutely right thing to do, I think sometimes we're just emotionally exhausted by it. And also sometimes can even feel a little bit victimized by our own need to stand up for ourselves. And so we do it and it's like the buildup. And then you kind of forget what a good thing it was for you to do. And you feel sorry for yourself. But I also think that there's a part of you that's crying for all those younger versions of you that wouldn't have stood up for themselves in those similar situations. So I did, I had a good old flipping cry afterwards. I was like, oh my God, like, why have I got a flipping stand up for myself? And then I said to him, I was like, do you know what? I've been good riddance to him. And I said to myself, it was either the Wednesday or the Thursday. I said, do you know what? If I'm not going to meet somebody until I'm in my thirties or forties, so be it. And I, I swear to you, Carly, I meant it. I said, I would rather be alone than be with another guy who is one of these emotionally unavailable, wants to pull whatever shenanigans on me. I am not going to be in a situation where I cannot be myself, where I'm putting up with any BS, where I'm, you know, having people overstep my boundaries. I would rather be on my own. And two days later, I met my husband. That's like textbook, isn't it? That you make that declaration like I'm going to be on my own I'd rather be on my own because I had that moment as well for sure and then you I mean I didn't meet my husband two days later but you know (laughs) there's you know at least that we can be like the the range of stories but yeah I love that moment when it's like I would genuinely rather 
be on my own than keep being in this situation over and over again. And I Mm. still fall into like similar patterns. There's no doubt about it. You know, if I look at sort of like my most recent situation. Um, But again, like I said, I can also see the differences. I can actually see that they were possibly like there was elements of them that were that other people hadn't had. So at least yeah. I was attracted to that. That's nice to see. <laughs> it's, nice. It's, it's all progress. Like I didn't know when I met, you know, my now husband that that was him. And also like all of these things that you are doing, all of those things that I did was really about that self ownership and shedding mm-hmm. some of the past. And it's like when you make those declarations and you have those shifts, you're just really stepping into who you are. Yeah. And like, you know, as I said earlier, like voting for what, you want now I didn't know that he was going to become my husband but what was interesting is that at the point where I met him I was undoubtedly the most me that I had ever been now I've evolved it's funny because a lot of people who have followed my work and it's funny because there's a number who've actually followed me from the beginning or very early years of my work but there can be the sense of people wanting to put it into this neat bow of Natalie's first 28 years she goes through all of these various different things. Then she has the epiphany. She spends eight months working on her health and her boundaries. And then she meets the love of her life and she goes and is happily ever after. Mm. Actually, the more accurate thing is like at the point where I met my now husband, I was the most me that I've ever been. But by God, I have done more work post meeting him than I did in those eight months mm-hmm. or even 28 years before, you know, before I met him. And I say that to people because if we think that we're going to meet somebody and that all of our problems will be solved, that the past won't matter, that we won't be impacted by it, that our emotional baggage will just disappear, that everything will just be solved by us being in a relationship. We are in for a very, very, very rude awakening because what actually happens when we get into a relationship, especially a loving relationship and the one that's really the the right one for for each of you is that you are now learning all of the lessons that you've already learned, but from a different angle of being in this situation. And I had to, you know, much as I had done a whole lot of processing in that eight months, I'd only ever been with Mr. Unavailables and yeah, some shady types as well in there as well. And then now I'm in a relationship with somebody who is not doing any of that stuff. And actually I was so calm on our first date. And so I really just enjoyed being around him and being myself. And then you start waiting for the other shoe to drop. You start to manuf- like start to, oh, but things are going to go wrong. All of these things, like the past kept coming up for me, but then I had to be like very, very present to that because it's not my husband's job to make up for all the guys that I went out with before or to make up for my parents. And in the time, you know, we're together, yeah, almost 15 years now. And during our time together, it's funny because I felt like I'd done a lot of work on my daddy issues and my mommy issues before meeting him, you know, in those eight months before. But boy, in these 15 years, that's where most of my my healing has come up. Because it's it's ongoing. It's a work in progress. We will always be processing this stuff, not necessarily to the same intense degrees when we first find out that we have to process it, but it comes up in different ways. I've, I lost my dad. I was estranged from each of my parents at different points because both my parents liked to throw tantrums and 
cut you off, you know, from time to time. I really came face to face with my people pleasing when I started working for myself. And also even, I think motherhood may have even tipped that a bit, but I think working for myself really revealed my people pleasing and my perfectionism and, and sort of the overthinking and different things have come along, things in friendship, I know myself. I now at this point, I'd say, oh no, I am most definitely the most me that I that I have ever been. But I would also say that when I met my husband at 28. Mm-hmm. So it's an evolution. It is a work in progress. But our relationships really match our feelings for ourselves. And there's a difference between going, oh yeah, of course I like myself. Yeah, of course, you know, I do the self-care thing and actually doing that. Because the doing is the, oh, something crappy has happened or this relationship isn't working out. Can I still like me any way in spite of this? Or, oh, I've realized that I am not treating me very well here. Okay, where do I need to, to tweak, adapt, evolve? Rather than, I realize I'm not treating me very well here. Ah, well, let me continue. So yeah. it is that whole, like, my relationship with myself has changed dramatically, you know, since I've been with him. But it's like, it's not because of him. Like, it's not like he said, well, you know, you've got to do this. It's that being in a loving relationship has also given me that freedom and flexibility to just relax, not just into being me, but to evolving into being me. And if you're in an unhealthy situation and you're pretending to be something that you're not, you don't have that freedom and flexibility. You don't. And can you? For, for me as well, what, when, when you were saying that is it's being yourself. But I've noticed that perhaps one of the patterns in the people that I go for seem to have, and I would actually go as far to say to this day, actually, I don't know that I find someone or I'm yet attracting someone who has the space for me to still mess up. It feels a bit like certainly most recently, if I not mess up, maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but those old patterns come out. I've done so much work on being able to hold my own baggage and and understand that and, and, you know, be able to carry it around in the healthiest ways. But still, I seem to be around people that don't have the space for me to also sort of make those same trips or you know have those moments Mm. triggered and things like that and so that when you say that loving relationship it's like yeah I've got to have the space for that you know to grow and yeah absolutely because I'll tell you something we all have emotional baggage and our baggage is particular to each of us and I know that if our relationship was contingent on me always handling things like really well and like not being triggered by stuff, my ass would have been grass at the beginning (laughs) of our relationship. (laughs) But but it it would have been because I'll tell you something, like a lot of stuff has come come up for me and you realize that you're in the right kind of relationship when you have the space for that stuff to come up and the person still loves you anyway and you're still there for you anyway. And actually that sometimes like I have been really hard on myself and he's not come along and gone, okay, let me come on in here now with my hammer and clobber you as well. He's like, yeah, what are you being so hard on you for? You need somebody who will just be human themselves. I'm very wary of being around people who don't feel as if they have anything to learn or they feel as if there's something wrong with you because stuff comes up for you or because you had some stuff going on like in the past, whatever. I get, I'm wary. I've gone out with the guys that you have gone out with. Mm -hmm. The ones that are a bit like looking at you like, oh, what, you're not the cool chick that I thought you were because like you're having like that sort of reaction over there. Hmm, 
Yeah. <clears throat> Let me, you know, black mark against you there type of thing. You know, I've been with the guys who judged me, judged me for my parents not being together. Wow. Yeah. I've been with guys who judged me for not getting on with my mother at the time. Yeah. That definitely doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you're not, you're not perfect. Like the way that I cooked up in my imagination. <clears throat> And the funny thing is, these people who are doing it, you're looking at them going, mate, you're not so flipping perfect yourself, you know? Yeah, especially when you come out of it and you wake up, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're off you, the ground and you're like, who are you? Yeah, you take you, you take off your relationship goggles and you go, jeez, girl, like, yeah. what on earth have you been smoking or drinking there? Because is... God, it's like, who... I look back on some of my exes <laughs> and I go, jeez, Natalie, you must have been smoking crack. Like, you must have been in a desperate... Yeah, that's the story of my life at the moment so tell us <laughs> when it comes to love because this is one of the like the bigger questions mm. what does it mean to you I, I feel like we've really just started to touch on it there mm-hmm. and it's clearly changed for you over the years but you have like this nice little wrapped up definition of love that people can follow because I always think that one of the things that has tripped me up the most to no one's fault is just not knowing what love was and just having the most distorted view based on you know my childhood experience of love yeah i think that if we were to rely on well i mean i don't i don't have like you i don't have great examples in childhood but also if you rely on media you know book society yeah you can have a pretty checkered idea of what these things are in fact be amazed at the amount of people who were sort of in my age group who learned a lot about love or what they thought was relationships from dallas dynasty falcon crest a lot of like the soaps of that era you honestly i've heard from so many people who were like oh like that's where i kind of got my idea like about what that was all about because you wouldn't necessarily see examples of it at home like if your parents weren't affectionate or they weren't treating you in whatever way and then you'd watch this and it's like oh like it's all showdowns yeah because do you know what because you mentioned some a couple of films earlier and i always think so i loved really classic uh, Grease and Dirty Dancing and Johnny and Danny they were like the bad boys but they the girls got them in the end yeah 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 and that <laughs> and is I a think big that's thing my biggest downfall yeah that they turn into yeah the guy we wanted that the, the fantasy relationship became real yeah that and that is the narrative that I think has walked millions and millions and millions of people into problems because of course it's a fantasy that's why I got when uh, the Sex and the City film the first one came out I was inundated with messages from people saying look this is proof not not just the Sex and the City film but also the final episode of the Sex and the City series I got so many messages from people saying look see it's proof and I was like mate it's a tv show yeah they get them in the end yeah for me love is very much like people go oh like I saw this person like I love them like they talk about about it like a feeling to know to love somebody is to know and understand them so it takes time and experience and we have to be willing to allow ourselves to be seen and to allow us to see the other person. So this is where, you know, I talk a lot about how people and relationships unfold. So we have to allow ourselves to be seen and for the other person to be seen. And then we also have to continue allowing ourselves to be seen further. And I think that what happens is that for a lot of people, they, they meet somebody and they paint a picture in their mind of who that person is and who they could be. And they they have feelings of fear mm. that they call like excitement. 
and love and chemistry. And what they're actually experiencing is feelings that remind them of, for instance, being around their father or their mother or their bully at school or whatever it might be. And actually loving someone is to see and accept them for who they are and being open to who they evolve into. And that's how in a loving relationship, you have the space to grow as do they, because it's mutual. You're rowing the relationship boat together. Your growth is part of their growth. Their growth is part of your growth. You're not threatened by them wanting to be better because, hey, that's great for them and for the relationship. They're not threatened by you wanting to be better because, hey, that's, you know, would not help the relationship. And so love is what comes about from being and doing the things where we consistently treat ourselves and others with care, trust and respect and act in a loving way. And that's how you get that love. The reason why I emphasize love, care, trust, and respect so much is because people will say, I'm so in love. I love that person so much. They love me so much. Do you trust them? Oh, well, I know it's kind of tricky that one. Mm-hmm. Um, or I love them so much, but um, I just really, really wish that they weren't whatever they basically are. If you can't accept somebody for who they are, then you don't respect them. And if you don't have respect, you sure as hell do not have love. So if you don't have all things, all four things together, then you cannot say that that's where where you are with love. So many people say, oh, I loved them the minute I saw them. We can do that for babies. You can do that when we birth our kids. You know, when we see our niece or nephew for the first time, whatever. Oh, I love them. Of course you can. Can't do that with some flipping rando that you just saw on flipping Tinder or wherever you want on your first date. You can't. You might have the sense of if you're very deeply connected to yourself and so you're very self-aware, you might have a sense, oh, wow, this person is significant in my life. But Mm -hmm. people who genuinely value a loving relationship and they're seeking that will not try to do the equivalent of putting a pot noodle in the microwave for 60 or 90 seconds or whatever it is. They will take their time. Even if they feel like, oh, I could be falling for this person. It's like, oh, I think, you know, this love and feel. They realize that that comes with responsibility. And so they will still take their time and allow things to unfold and be open to getting to know mm. you and you then. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I just know it's just going to help so many people, especially, I mean, mine thing has always been, and I, lo- I only laugh at it now because I'm so aware of it, mm. that as soon as someone's like pulls back their interested at uh, their interest, I fall, fall in love. And yeah. my... Um, I think my sort of catchphrase when I was, you know, my early 20s used to be like, but I love him, mate. No, mate, I love him. You don't understand. Yeah. And <laughs> that's a hook. What, what you're experiencing there is your hook is disinterest. Yeah. And yeah. so actually. Sure, so badly. And like my hook also used to be like the pulling back because then it was like, I would go out with, with a guy who on some level, I was like, what the hell? Like, why? Yeah. As a, a lot of women have been conditioned into, if somebody shows interest in you, you should reciprocate it. Like, look at you. Somebody wants to go out with your type of thing. You know, that's how I end up accepting a proposal that I shouldn't have. And then contemplating climbing out of a window about two minutes later. But I digress. <laughs> so I'm laughing at myself there, just the absurdity of what I've just shared. But it is true that that yeah, happens. So many people like can relate to things like that. It's amazing. Yeah, but it's also like women socialize conditioned for man asks you to marry him it doesn't matter if he's a serial killer with 10 bodies down in the basement you say yes because a man asked you to marry him and so, your only chance 
yeah, this could be my only chance. But um, if I don't marry him, somebody else is going to. Like a man asked me to marry him. So many men don't talk about their feelings or even want to marry you. So this guy must be all right if he wants to marry you. Next thing, they're beating the bejesus out of you or doing God knows what. And you're trapped in this crappy relationship that people are saying, oh, look at you that you're married. Mate. No, not lucky at all. So we, it's, it's patriarchy that's convinced us mm-hmm. that we are nothing without a relationship. It's patriarchy that's convinced us that we should take anything that's going on offer and that we should only want to extricate ourselves out of a relationship when it's like a 999 situation. So yeah, we have to redefine what love is because love, as I learned and as you have learned, isn't, oh, they're not interested in me. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're rejecting me. Oh, well, now I'm really into you. Like, do you know what it is as well? People go out with guys who I was like, oh my God, I'm not interested in, in him at all. And they persist and persist. And then they wear me down. People please wear me be like, okay, give this a shot. He's been so keen. Start going out with him. They start acting up. And then it's like, wait a second. You, who I wasn't even interested in, in the first place, don't want me or you're acting disinterested. Now all of a sudden I'm invested. I got something to fight for. No, that's when I found your book. That was probably one of the ones I really, really struggled with the most, actually, was when I wasn't interested and they knew it because it felt more intentional. It felt more like a game that they they had to win me. Mm-hmm. And then when they would had that, it was like, oh, no, I'm done now. But I was already invested. That was it then. It was like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, my head has gone there now. That type of stuff plays for our mommy and daddy issues straight away. And the thing that I say to people, because so many people are very perplexed by this. Why would somebody who chases you, you know, expresses this interest, seems like they're really into you properly, promises you the sun, moon, stars, and a field full of ponies, why would they then pull back on that? Or why would they turn into somebody different? And I say to people, aside from the fact that they didn't change, you just got to know them. Yeah. Some people perceive interest, and to be fair, we've been guilty of it ourselves, but some people perceive interest or they conflate it with being out of control. So if they meet somebody and the person doesn't immediately fawn all over them and go, oh, I want to be with you. If they're not chasing, if they're not accepting the attentions, it's like, bing, something fires off there in a subconscious. Oh, I'm out of control here. This person is a bit more interesting. Why aren't they responding to me? Why am I not sure about what's going to happen here? So suddenly their interest is peaked. Now, the person might resist. Like you might be like, oh, I'm not interested at all. The seeming interest heightens because they feel out of control. The moment that you now reciprocate and you are like, okay, because you think, oh, well, they've really put in a lot of effort into chasing me. So they must be really into me. The moment that you do that, somebody who doesn't know the difference between interest and being out of control will lose interest in you Mm. because they are now in control. Yeah. And it's so interesting because like you say, like we think, oh, they've put in all this effort. I remember with this person, it's all, it really is out of all of them, the one where I'm like, it's one of the scariest ones I, I felt like to fall into. But they, I see now, adapted themselves to be my perfect person. Everything yeah. that I liked, all the, you know, ev- everything, like the gifts that they bought, it was mm-hmm. all adapted to be the perfect person and make me, yeah, just to see them in that way. well yeah but the thing is as humans the things that we dislike in others that have sometimes has caused us pain often point to things that we ourselves are guilty of or Mm. have been guilty of and like you i've been pretty much in a like for like kind of scary the description i'm like geez we go out the same guy or something (laughs) but 
actually some of these relationships reveal they show us ourselves because yeah. maybe we weren't throwing the gifts around but actually we've done pretty much exactly the same thing yeah. as these guys pitched ourselves as being cool girl the perfect girl the perfect partner whatever it might be and we're quite benevolent to ourselves and that is because we're like well it's different there because you know i've just been so loving and nice and giving them sex and but actually we're doing ourselves a disservice but also you can't create a relationship based on a fake version of you i mean you can but it ain't gonna go anywhere good that's it isn't it you're gonna be certainly very miserable for sure you can't create a loving relationship from a fake place sometimes you need somebody to come along and show you your judgmental and critical parts like i always say a narcissist job in your life i mean they they obviously don't know it consciously they're far too narcissistic for that i'm talking about on a more deep almost for one of better spiritual level the job of a narcissist in our life is to show us where we need to love ourselves because we are capable of loving ourselves in a way that they never could Mm -hmm. the job of a narcissist is to show us actually those narcissistic aspects of us all humans are guilty of being narcissistic at times Mm -hmm. we are you know it's like somebody breaks it off you you can't break it off with me that's in our head we're the injustice who the hell do they think they are breaking it off with me what or somebody i don't know gives us feedback or yeah actually criticize you can't criticize i can't believe who they think they are to that's the narcissistic yeah we all have it it's that ego you know aspect of us the thing about it is narcissists can't switch that stuff off they can't they know how to chameleon and all that stuff but they cannot switch that stuff off we actually have the ability to come back into ourselves and well, narcissists tend to be with people who you get narcissists have delusions of grandeur about themselves, but actually us with the low self-esteem, I'm not good enough. You know, I need to know, catch the rays of the narcissist or whatever it might be. We also have delusions of grandeur, but in the opposite direction, I'm not good enough. It's all my fault. Why can't this person change? That's delusions of grandeur. If you think mm. that you're unworthy because of other people, it's like you're making yourself out to be like capable of Jedi mind tricking people. So the great thing is, is that all of our relationships, not just with narcissists, really help us to confront these aspects of ourselves to heal. The narcissist can sometimes just show us the narcissistic parents in our life, the ambivalent, avoidant partner who you know, they pull away from us. They show us, oh, wow. Like for me, it really showed me about like my dad, you know, when I was a kid and I was waiting for visits and, you know, I wanted to be the good girl when I spent time with him and I didn't want to ruin the mood by being upset or expressing anything that might actually put him up. That's all of every relationship I had prior to this, Mm -hmm. every relationship. And you need people to show you who you are or where you've been. So sometimes it's not necessarily about showing us ourselves. Sometimes it's just showing us our parents or our siblings or whoever it is so that we can course correct and finally understand what we need to do. I love that because what I know is that many people listening will be in a situation right now. And I just feel like whatever that whatever that looks like for you, even if it's similar to ones that we've described, it just is kind of saying, look, look at what this is here to show you and move on. You know, yeah, look absolutely. at what is here and move on. Yeah. Professor Life is going, listen, <laughs> we can do this class as many times as you like. You know, I got the time. Yeah. Or we can graduate graduate you out of this class and you will move on to other lessons. What a lot of people want to do is like, I want to graduate out of this class and have no more lessons. <laughs> I love that. That is it. Okay, that is so good. How do you now navigate your life if love sort of comes back, kicks you in the ass, throws you off? How do you navigate that, especially doing the work that you do? 
you know, because I'm guessing you're still learning lessons. Oh, for sure. I mean, I would say, you know, my dad passed away a few months before I turned 40. That was in, um, he passed away in March, 2017. And the journey I've been on in that time as a result of grief, I call it the growth of grief. And also grief, weirdly, has brought me, I say weirdly, but grief is very intermingled with joy. And I have discovered a lot of joy in that time. But things like losing my father, turning 40, which really did a bit of a number on me headwise initially, because, you know, as women, we are conditioned to believe that you're basically on a scrap heap when you turn 40. So I was like, oh my God, I haven't achieved all of the things by the time I turned 40. I now can't say that I'm, I could never be on the best, whatever, 30 something, 30 in the top 30 list or whatever you call those things. Oh my God, I haven't done this. No, 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 no. And I went into this, this whole thing. And what I've really learned to do is to really pay attention to my, I've really come to understand my bandwidth like what I have the emotional, mental, physical, Mm -hmm. spiritual capacity for. I have really leaned into that over the past few years. I I did the marathon in 28, London marathon in 2018. I had never done a marathon. And in fact, when I started training, the most I'd run was like, uh, I don't know, a mile, not even a mile, probably like a kilometer. And I basically started from nothing and did the marathon four months later. While that's an amazing achievement, it took a massive toll on me. Mm -hmm. And I hit a bit of a low point six weeks later, the lessons that I actually got from that have, it's like a a bit more of an awakening there again. But I was like, you demand too much of yourself. And you also take things too personally. Sometimes like when things don't work out, like, do you remember when I, I had an agent, you Mm. know, looked at going down the traditional publishing route and that all became a bit sort of weird and gaslighty and, you know, stepped away from that. It was like a breakup. It was absolutely the right thing to do. And I knew it at the time and I was very open about it, but that whole process, things not working out, it really brought up a lot of stuff about rejection and abandonment for me that I, I am no different to any other human. You, You do sometimes kid yourself. Oh yeah, I'm totally done with that now. Surely that can't come back round. Mate, my dad's died. How much more abandonment stuff can possibly come? Oh, no, no, no. It can come up again and again. Not necessarily it's coming up all the time, but that's brought up a lot of stuff. And, you know, I've just learned to give myself the space and grace to sometimes be angry and hurt about things. That's a really important thing because I didn't, I wasn't allowed as a kid to have feelings because I'm that generation again, as a number of us of those generations. Uh, you know, my kids' generation is very different, but the rest of us, feelings, what feelings? What are my feelings for? Get outside and play and stop messing around. Mm-hmm. Needs, what needs? When I was your age, I didn't even have shoes. I didn't even go to school. What are you going on about needs? What are you talking about how you're upset for? You know, depressed. Don't be saying that people, people be thinking that you're mad. Mm-hmm. You know, all this type of stuff. So I've had to learn how to really respect my bandwidth. I demand a lot of myself. I demand too much of myself. Mm -hmm. And the marathon really brought me face to face with the realization that most people, when somebody asks them, hey, would you like a place in a marathon? And you've never run a marathon before. Don't necessarily ask, expect and demand of themselves that they perform that in less than four months. Also, I just, I realized it was a metaphor, as is everything. It was a metaphor for how I do other things that I've decided I'm going to do it or somebody else has asked it of me and I will get the result out of me, Mm -hmm. even though it might involve pushing me way over 
my bandwidth for not listening to myself. And so that's been a massive wake up call because it's funny, I was watching an episode of Modern Family the other day and Alex Dunphy is, you know, the brainiac of the family. She's got all of these exams that she's due to do, I think SATs and all these different things, like lots and lots of different exams because she's like super, super bright. I think she was going off to college early. She was behaving very erratically and rage-filled on her 16th birthday. She gets up the following morning after her meltdown and she books herself into a therapy appointment. You know, very typical over-responsible, overachieving type of thing a person, you know, somebody would do like that. In the meantime, her mom goes to school and they're being shown all the things that their kids are doing and she can't keep up she has a pile of books she's trying to work out what tests and whatever else she's doing and Alex in the meantime is in his therapy session and she basically says she feels like she's not seen like she's the odd one out in her family you know all of this stuff she walks out of the therapist's office and her mom is there and she's like Alex you have so to do like oh my god this is such a lot and Alex promptly bursts into tears and goes thank you so much mom because that's all she wanted you know I found myself crying my eyes out And what I realized in that moment is I never, ever, 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 ever had that at all in my childhood. I was, that's where I get it from. And this is the, this is the phase of my life now, the loving my, the extra layers now, the adding on to the loving yourself piece that the reason why I demand so much of myself is because I don't even know that I'm demanding so much of myself because this is how it has always been. So nobody ever said, wow, that's a lot. Oh, I know that this is a lot we're asking of you. Or is this something that you're okay with? It was not you're a genius. So yeah. So you've had to, I guess, and it's what we come back to, isn't it? You've had to give that to say that to yourself, be the one to say. Yes. Yes. And it is hard because, you know, I still expect me to be and do all the things. Sometimes it's so easy in the social media world as well. You know, you see people doing stuff and you're like, oh my God, like I am behind. I'm not behind at all. I know that, but my ego does not accept that. And my body lets me know in no uncertain terms, you are expecting too much of yourself. I've often expected me to do in a week what somebody else would do in three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't even, and, I, and people say like, how on earth have you produced so much content and done so much stuff? Well, because that's come from somebody who was a people pleaser, perfectionist, overthinker, over-responsible and over-giver. Mm-hmm. So of course I, and I, believe me, I know that if I decided never to produce another thing, I have left plenty here that, you know, for people to consume. I, maybe legacy feels like a big word, but yeah, I feel like there's plenty here that if I don't produce anything else, that people will get plenty out of what I've already put that. I know this because I hear from people every day who, who say, oh, I read this thing and I quote it back to me. And I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? And I realized <laughs> it's like this thing I wrote like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years ago. This thing is still giving and changing yeah. somebody's life. But I can't do what I, I, after that died and I took that time off mm-hmm. and then I tried to go back to my old life. I did not fit back into it. Yeah. Confusing. It was so painful and also liberating. Yeah. And I just, so I know that so many of the women that I talk to, I'm sure you do as well. It is that just giving, giving, giving that perfectionist mindset. And I actually, I I know that I got the word from you talking about bandwidth. And I was, I had a client um, in the week who's just so, so stressed. And I don't know if I use the word bandwidth or capacity, but I certainly know that that's come from what I've learned from you and just saying to her, you 
can't keep going around in circles you do not have the bandwidth yeah you do not have the capacity for everything that you're trying to do and, and that's what the first thing we need to accept and I think so many people will relate to that my final question for you so and I and perhaps we've already touched on this so it might just be narrowing it down a little bit but without saying that you wouldn't change a thing and that you have <laughs> no regrets at all you get to go back to one age Ooh. what lesson would you teach yourself about love oh Wow. I love that question. I think that I probably go back to my 15-ish, 16-year-old self because my first long-term boyfriend was the quintessential nice guy. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I'm not embarrassed to say, but I did used to be that I broke it off with him like 10 times and he also took me back. Yeah. yeah. 10 times. I felt a lot of shame about that relationship, even though there was also jealousy and possessiveness. To be fair, we were kids. You know, there was a lot of jealousy and possessiveness in there and it wasn't right for me. The lesson I think that I would learn from that is it's okay to not want to go out with a guy that everybody tells you is such a sweet guy or they're so nice. In fact, even if they're not telling you that, it's okay to not want to go out with somebody just quite simply because you don't want to. Because that habit, by God, it stuck with me for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it made it very difficult for me to extricate myself out of things because they kept thinking that I should feel differently because look on paper, it's this. It doesn't matter that in reality, it's that on paper, it's this. And everybody else, you know, is saying this thing. So yeah, I think I would say to my 15 slash 16 year old self, hey, you're only a kid. You're not supposed to get it right first time or even 10 times in or even 20 times in. And uh, actually, it's totally okay to be on your own. And you don't have to act up and be a bit of a dick to your boyfriend just to try to make him try to like finally break it off with you. You can actually just say that you don't want to continue on anymore. Do you know what I know as well? I know that's 15 years old. People are doing that still 20s, 30s, right? Like staying with someone because even just their friends are like, but he's a nice guy, you know? But this, but that, but your age, whatever it is, I really hope that that sort of resonates with a lot of people. Yeah, I, you know, a lot of the things that people do in relationships today, if they trace their way back to the origins of it, it is probably teenage, a childhood habit, as in stuff that you just learn to do and have replicated and have never actually gone, uh, what the hell did I get this from? You know, did I get it from Sweet Valley High or, I don't know, Saved by the Bell or Neighbours or... Virginia Andrews or whatever on earth it was, like where on earth because a lot of stuff is just stuff that we've repeated. Yeah. And we're still in that child mentality. I actually hear from a lot of guys who, because they consider themselves to be nerdy and uncool, they're chasing the girl that would not have anything to do with them <laughs> in high school and mm-hmm. doing the craziest stuff. Or because they think there's something wrong with them just being their lovely selves. They're like, mm-hmm. oh no, wait, I have to be like the cool guy and get the girl now. It's the other way around. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for an amazing conversation. I could obviously keep going. Oh my gosh. Like we, like we could like talk all day. Do you remember that time when we did that Instagram live and we, we, talked, we, to go on again. we were, somebody said we were like that episode of friends where it goes, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. That's what it's like now. I knew I was like, there is no way we will record an episode in an hour. I know we, we do love a good gas session us too, but honestly, it's it's actually been really such a pleasure to talk about these particular subjects. Yeah. And I love hearing from you because obviously not just because you've been through it and, and you literally really talk about it with knowledge, 
but where I feel like, yeah, I'm still sort of tripping up, still sort of going down that path sometimes. So it's nice to be able to actually hear from you and be like, tell me everything you know. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? We're all tripping up just in different things. This is it. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you.